0: again. My name is Kimmy Jackson and this is episode 5 of Make Your Move. We recognize that people are working too hard to avoid those uncomfortable emotions. Not just you, all of us do this. Here you can gain the skills to become a master listener to the feelings you experience so you can understand the purpose behind your emotions, not get stuck in them, and respond to any feeling with the confidence you are meeting your needs and moving forward. I told you guys the Star Wars references were coming, and here we are with Episode 5, You Don't Know the Power of the Dark Side. And if you didn't know that was said by Darth Vader shortly after revealing himself as Luke Skywalker's father, (sighs) well, we can still be friends. It's cool. You don't know the power of the dark side. How intriguing does that sound? Better than tarantulas, perhaps? Not only did we talk about those hairy spiders in our last episode, we also spent time discussing the illusion of independence and the transition to secure dependence. The realistic balance that encourages our drive for autonomy as well as our instincts for connection. I'm looking forward to us talking more and more about secure dependence. And you'll hear it pop up here and there today, but I want to start our discussion today, embracing the dark side, your dark side. No, 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 not the pictures of when you were going through your good Charlotte or Avril Lavigne stage. I'm talking about the dark side of human nature. Now, what could that possibly have to do with emotional intelligence, a clear mind, or mental health? I need a little help from all of my sports people out there. The best offense is a good what? Defense, exactly. We're pointing out the blockers and linebackers and removing obstacles so that your road to emotional intelligence and a clear mind is smooth. If emotional intelligence is the answer to getting us unstuck and helping individuals confront or listen and understand their uncomfortable emotions, my question is then why haven't we figured this out sooner? Why has there been so many problems and obstacles going on? And what is really running all of that interference and hindering emotional intelligence to plant her seeds, sink her roots down, down deep, and flourish. Well, I'm excited to introduce the beginning of this five-part series, where I want to share what I believe to be the five main hindrances to emotional intelligence, starting with the dark side of human nature. During the next five episodes, starting today, you're going to hear the heart, the intention, Well, my heart and my intention and the very purpose as to why I believe emotional intelligence to be the key to saving, to healing, to connecting, lifting, and living. I want to nail these obstructions with you because that's exactly what they do and have been doing. They obstruct and they get you stuck. And guess what? Because of that whole secure independence thing, whenever we're stuck, does that typically only affect us? Or is there a spillover effect to the people that we care about or that we come in contact with? Yes, because of that interconnection and interdependence. So what do you think? What would it be like to get those heavy gloomy clouds that continuously lurk around us out of sight so that you can see think feel and move more clearly let's do it in order for pieces of emotional intelligence to stick it's helpful to have a basic understanding of the dark side of human nature so let's jump in it was about oh, i'd say almost two years ago I attended a conference taught by Dr. David Burns that promised to share the secrets of transforming troubled relationships. When I received the flyer in the mail advertising this conference, I was intrigued by Dr. Burns' background in both psychiatry and counseling. With a quick Google search, I soon learned that he was an adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. He was also a student to one of our cognitive therapy pioneers, Aaron Beck. Now, I understand that might sound a little psychology mumbo-jumbo, but I then saw a familiar picture of his best-selling book, Feeling Good. Many of you may be familiar with this book because it was originally published in 1980 and it has sold over 4 million copies. So I was so excited to take advantage of this opportunity. Not only because of the content of troubled relationships, my background being in marriage and family therapy, but also it being a rare experience to meet an expert and observe how their mind works and take note of after all their years of training, all their years of research and teaching and practicing, what do they choose to focus on and How do they leave their mark? What do they want to instill in the upcoming generations of professional helpers? So as an introduction to transforming troubled relationships, Dr. Burns visited various theories that postulate human behavior and why we struggle so much in our close and interpersonal relationships. He said, is it a lack of skills He mentioned communication skills, problem-solving skills, vulnerability skills. Do problems arise as a result of personality or how we were raised? Uh, Other theories suggest challenges and struggles occur because of a fear or discomfort from unknown experiences, such as vulnerability, love, connection, hurt, fear, abuse, forgiveness, or even safety. All of these ideas suggest that there is a deficit, something that we lack. Dr. Burns would say, we desperately want loving, satisfying relationships, but lack the skills we need to develop them. For instance, and this is quoting from his book, Feeling Good Together. He states, we may get defensive when we should be listening. We may pout or put the other person down, instead of sharing our feelings openly. We may resort to nagging in order to get our way. I'm sure none of you listening have ever found yourself being defensive or combative instead of expressing your true, perhaps vulnerable feelings. Does that happen to us sometimes? Absolutely. And that's why we have theories, because we aren't the only ones that do it. I'm just kind of guessing it probably takes three or more people to make a theory. Yeah, probably a lot more than that, though. Now, the presentation became interesting when Dr. Byrne shared a new theory. Well, a theory that was at least new to me. Motivational theory. In contrast to other theories, motivational theory suggests that we struggle with connection and getting along because we simply don't want to. We lack the motivation to be close to people. In fact, what we learn from Dr. Burns is that we end up, quote, embroiled in hostility and conflict because the battle is rewarding, end of quote. Initially, what are your thoughts to motivational theory? Is that kind of harsh sounding? Maybe a bit much? Or no, you might think this perfectly describes my ex ever embroiled in hostility. (laughs) See, my initial feelings were both surprised and definitely curious. Often therapists strive to share a strong voice of hope and encouragement. And here, I was hearing a pretty strong message that sounded a bit more like the air being let out of a kid's birthday balloon. Pew! Here, come to this conference. You want to hear the secrets to resolving troubled relationships? Pew! Yeah. Now, clearly, humans are not perfect. And as you've heard me say, I believe all emotions are purposeful. Therefore, I see motivation as a gravitational force for creating human behavior. So now, I'm wondering what motivates or reinforces us to not want to be close, or connected to others. Dr. Burns continued his presentation by sharing with the group that he was going to walk us through a thought experiment. And together, we're going to complete this same thought experiment right now. This can also be found in Dr. Burns' same book, Feeling Good Together. So I'm going to paraphrase this experiment from Dr. Burns' words. He says, go ahead and think about one person you don't like or get along with. Picture that person in your mind's eye and try to remember all the things that person says or does that annoy, frustrate, or irritate you. Maybe this person has been critical to you, or there are traits about this person that you just can't stand. They are pushy, self-centered, oblivious, or judgmental. Do you have someone in mind? Because I do too. (laughs) I'm thinking of someone that I had to work with for a number of months that it was not uh, super enjoyable. Now, imagine that you have a magic button sitting on the desk in front of you. If you press the button, you will have a wonderful, close, caring relationship with the person you are thinking about. No effort will be required to bring this change about. Just push the button and And the person you're feeling annoyed with will suddenly become your closest friend. Will you press the button? How many of you would press the button? Because I'll tell you, in the room where I was sitting, mostly filled with educators, social workers, and therapists, I can remember only two or three hands going up. And honestly, my hand was not one of them. Now, this is in no way a shaming activity. In fact, the very opposite is true. There are valid reasons as to why we choose to be distant and not close to the people we are not getting along with. Unfortunately, this distance and disconnection can also happen with those we are close to and want a connection with. A facet that I truly appreciate from motivational theory is that it holds us accountable for the behaviors that derive from our thoughts and feelings. It's not just that we lack skills or are uncomfortable, but that we make choices based on thoughts and feelings and we can be absolutely held accountable for those choices. Now, are there some choices made consciously and others unconsciously? In other words, do we have blind spots? Yeah. And I will give plenty of of examples of how this happens. And the goal today is to provide loads of helpful information to bring more awareness to our conscious mind. Emotional intelligence does include awareness and understanding, but also action and compassion. Dr. Burns listed 12 motives that clearly explain our motivation to deter from connection. I'm going to list these 12 motives that he says compete with love, and then I'm going to focus on two of them specifically. As I list these 12 motives, remember, we are listening for characteristics that stand out to you or sound familiar, or maybe you've observed that interfere with connections. Okay, so here are those 12 motives of human nature that compete with love. The first one he lists is power and control. Oftentimes, aggression and dominance are very gratifying and at times more reinforcing than love. Number two, revenge. It's natural to want to get back at someone who has wronged us, even a loved one. And this urge can overtake any feelings of forgiveness Caring or love. Number three, justice or fairness. I'm sure we can all think of awful crimes that have taken place in the name of justice. Or I can think of my six year old throwing his Nerf gun at his brother. Yes, you heard that right. The Nerf gun, not the soft darts, the Nerf gun, because his younger brother wasn't playing fair. How often do we see, hear others, or ourselves justify unkind or selfish behavior and say things such as, I'm justified, or it's fair? Number four, narcissism. When we become preoccupied with our own ambitions or feel superior we can start to use our relationships for our own gain as a manipulation. Do we seek a relationship with someone with the intent for personal gain? Sometimes I like to step back and check how often I am saying me or I when I'm talking to people. In a conversation, do I let others finish their thoughts or their stories? Or am I looking to jump in at the next opportunity so that I can talk about me. Number five, pride and shame. I love this quote from Dr. Burns. He states, intimacy requires humility and the willingness to examine our failures in your relationships. This can be painful because feelings of shame get in the way, especially when we care about the person who is criticizing us, and we sense that their criticisms are true. Number six, scapegoating. It is deeply rewarding, Dr. Byrne says, to label some person or group as inferior or defective, like a problem child or a parent who never understands. It provides you that convenient excuse for all the tension and unhappiness you are experiencing. Scapegoating gives you no power and no connection. Moving on to number seven, this is a big one, truth. In an exaggerated tone, Dr. Burns would say, truth is the cause of nearly all suffering in the world today. If you think about relationship problems or even international conflicts, he continues, you'll see a battle over truth. We are addicted to winning and being right. And most of the time, truth is a club that we use when we beat each other up. Number eight, blame. It is very reinforcing and liberating to blame others for the problems we are facing. In this light, you can stand superior and you are free of guilt and any responsibility. Coming in at number nine is self-pity. Blame often triggers self-pity. As you begin to see others as the bad guy, you victimize yourself. You were treated unfairly. You don't need to change anything. This is all their fault. Number 10 is Anger and bitterness are strong motives that deter our drive toward connection and love. Not on this episode, nor ever, will you hear me say that anger or getting mad is a bad thing. And research is kind of contradictory with anger. Anger is natural. And you will hear me say that anger is not a productive emotion. And that is because we're not taught how to effectively express or use it. Unless, maybe if we're wearing a jersey or boxing gloves. But, is even that true? Let's see, after a $1,000, even $2,000 fines, did that slow down Draymond Green from his postseason technical fouls during the playoffs this year? Uh, not so much. (laughs) See, it's interesting to me that Dr. Burns combined anger and bitterness into the same category. Because how often do we let feelings of anger go unattended, and wrought into bitterness. Bitterness is not a primary emotion, and oftentimes you'll hear theorists say that neither is anger, but bitterness stews over time and is a combination of one's needs not being met or recognized as well as needs not being stated by that individual. Okay, we've got a couple more here. Number 11 is competition. This is kind of similar to that truth motive. We don't like to lose, but that doesn't always make us the best at winning. We focus more on winning, even if that means someone close to us being the loser. And lastly, number 12 are hidden agendas. This may or may not surprise some of you, but some choose to keep a distance from their loved ones because of secrets. This could be anything from private hobbies or clubs to bank accounts and affairs. And no matter your age, whether you broke the donkey in your mother's precious moments Christmas nativity set, or maybe finished off the cookie dough bluebell ice cream single-handedly before your husband came home from work. Secrets make us sick. As you were listening to these 12 different motives, perhaps there was an idea or two that sounded familiar in how you intentionally, or perhaps unintentionally, create conflict. Instead of giving someone the benefit of the doubt, do you find yourself pointing fingers and placing blame? Or is it difficult for you to say you were wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't wrong. I'm hardly ever wrong. Are there times when winning becomes more important to you than the feelings of those you are spending time with? For the time being, I want to zoom in for a bit here on two of these dark side motives to human nature, those being pride and blame. Now, pride is definitely a problem, and you want to know why? Well, first of all, we have done a pretty good job of misconstruing the meaning of pride. Typically, when you hear pride, you would think of someone being self-centered, arrogant, kind of haughty, and if that was all, I would honestly say that pride wouldn't be all too horrible. Snobby, but not horrible. Conceited, but not horrible. If pride were simply a synonym of overconfident, then I would categorize it alongside with young Anakin Skywalker. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Did someone mention Star Wars again? How did we get so lucky? (laughs) You see, Anakin Skywalker was a brilliant young boy, extremely capable and equipped to become a powerful Jedi, one unlike ever seen before. After his Jedi training, He is deceived and his heart turned and eventually becomes the evil and infamous Darth Vader. He's pretty much the bad guy of all bad guys. Now, was it arrogance or being selfish that turned young Anakin's heart? No, it wasn't. It was something much deeper, much darker, and so it is with pride. Enmity enmity or hatred simmers at the core of pride. Young Anakin's heart through deception was filled with hatred, and that is ultimately what led to his destruction. Enmity is defined as a state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. From the words of the late Ezra Taft Benson, a former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture and a former president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I learned a healthy and very helpful distinction of the definition of pride and why it can be so damaging. Pride is not a characteristic of the rich or wealthy. It is not a sign of popularity. It is more than putting ourselves above others. It's enjoying the failure of others. Pride is destructive. It can be observed in our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It's the desire to create conflict. The incessant need to have the final word in that argument so that I win. As we look into the dark side of human nature, it is valuable to see the various ways we spread the influence of pride. In other words, the influence of hatred in and around us. This influence can be seen both overtly as well as subtly, such as being critical or nitpicky, gossiping, a very, very addicting quality of pride, holding grudges, selfishness, uh, withholding compliments, being ungrateful or contentious, being unteachable, and this means it's difficult to receive correction or hear that you're wrong, Uh, sharing our opinions as though they are facts. It is not difficult to imagine the destruction that follows pride when you think of it as equated to hatred or enmity. Conversely, and I would also say beautifully, It is uplifting to imagine the possibilities of strength and repair and connection when an obstruction like pride is not constantly running interference. As we talk about human nature, remember, potholes like pride are natural to fall into. You are not some kind of evildoer for thinking you are better than someone, I mean it. Those thoughts and feelings are going to happen on occasion. We are all capable of demonstrating any one of these disconnecting motives, and the idea here is to recognize them when they happen and disarm them. Yes, in a backwards and destructive way, these motives are reinforcing because humans enjoy power, some more than others. You'll meet some people who are more prone to get angry and are learning how to constructively share their feelings. You'll meet others who are sore losers or haven't learned how to apologize yet and don't realize that they can be wrong sometimes. Man, are they lined up for a rude awakening. But you know what we seek more than power? More than that satisfaction than being right? What feels more fulfilling than dominance? What individuals ask for during their last months of life. They don't ask for someone to argue with. They don't ask for someone to point their finger at. They ask for connection, contact, and friendship. These dark motives are natural potholes. They're lower levels of thinking, feeling, and behaving, and we can all get stuck in them. But, yes, there is a but a big butt, actually. But we all have this superpower that catches us. There is a part of your emotional intelligence that is also natural, just like those potholes, but instead is healthy, positive, and is looking out for you. Your conscience. I call it your spirit, your intuition, your instincts. If you've seen Walt Disney's Pinocchio, This is your Jiminy Cricket I'm talking about. Yes, every single human on planet earth has this intuition, a conscience, a spirit that encourages growth, good positive choices that reminds you to keep the promises that you've made, to remind you what your mom said before you left for school that day. Then we have the anecdote to pride the anecdote to hatred. And that is quite simple. Be humble. Build people up even higher than you are. And here's the crazy question. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you why I love watching Clay Thompson play basketball. He's on the Golden State Warriors and that team is packed with superstars. Clay being one of them. And Do you think that he ever sits in the locker room after games and thinks, gosh, why did I throw that assist to Kevin Durant? And Steph Curry, man, I know he's a great shooter and all, but I think I want to get more points than him next game. No, I don't think he ever thinks that. (laughs) Because basketball, and life for that matter, is a team sport. You build the people up around you. And I promise you, your personal stats will increase as well. Being humble, recognizing you are not always the star of the show, is not a weakness. It's recognizing your imperfections. It's apologizing and understanding your dependence on others. Your, remember, secure dependence. So what if you're wrong? You actually don't have to have the final word. And what's the big deal if someone goes ahead of you? Especially when you're driving. And perhaps piping down your steamy ego and avoiding a six car pileup is a better option. So you will still get home safely to your loved ones, and so will the other moms, dads, sons, and daughters that are driving around you. That's right, they aren't just drivers, they're people. I was driving out of Denver the other day and there's this huge lit up sign displayed for drivers to see how many fatal car crashes have happened in Colorado this year. The total for 2019 that day was 319. We can let go of our egos. This process of humility Dr. Burns refers to as the death of the ego. And it can be as painful or as painless as you would like it to be. Pride is destructive, humility is uniting. All right, on to blame. Okay, raise your finger if you are a blamer. Not your hand, just your finger. Maybe you didn't turn to the dark side like Vader because you think ill of others, but. Do you take that pointer finger you have very seriously and find yourself playing detective and asking, who did this? Who said that? Or another strong indicator of blaming is the typical, it wasn't me. During the conference with Dr. Burns on this particular topic, what I'm also about to share with you, initially the room was all on board and extremely intrigued anticipating his next secret to understanding conflict and why and how it is so easy to become entangled in blame or self-pity. And then, in a matter of seconds, no joke, you could feel so many people in the room turn cold and struggle with what was being taught. We each had our brief example of conflict, including a clear picture of who we had been in conflict with coworkers, ex-spouses, siblings, children, etc. Then we all saw it up on the screen in big bold letters, underlined and italicized. We forcefully create the relationship problems that we complain about so bitterly. So, maybe it wasn't bold or italicized, But sometimes the truth can hit you that way, you know? We were all taken back, but not as much as when we saw the second bullet point that read, we insist on being victims and don't want to examine our own role in the conflict. So the first one, we forcefully create the relationship problems we complain about so bitterly. And then number two, We insist on being victims and don't want to examine our own role in the conflict. I will tell you, this was not, and may not be for you, an easy concept to grasp initially. You know why? Because it's true. Wouldn't it be so much easier to just point our finger and blame someone else for the problems, interferences, and hiccups we are facing? Of course, we are not talking about the vulnerable or defenseless people in abusive situations here. We are talking about how we blame other people for the problems in our lives, avoid our own responsibility, insist on being the victim, and find ourselves stuck and feeling miserable. A small example, my six-year-old He was playing with his friends and cousins at Grandma's house. This was a few weeks ago. And he came up to me with his head down. I asked him what was wrong, and he told me, no one will play with me, Mom. I asked him what everyone was playing, and he began to list off Nerf guns, Star Wars battles, this love runs in our family, uh, Infinity War superheroes, and Legos. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun, I said. Don't you want to play too? He told me yes but no one will play with me I asked him well have you asked anyone to play with you and he said no ah I see number one we forcefully create the problems we complain about so bitterly I then asked him did anyone say they didn't want to play with you he said no okay okay I see well honey How about you ask someone to play with you? but mom. Number two, we insist on being victims and don't want to examine our own role in the conflict. All right, here's another example to try on. When I work with families, a common concern that arises for middle school, kind of high school age people can be, mom and dad don't understand how I feel and they don't know what it's like to be me. Then together, we start to unpack feelings and understand what it's like for this person to be who they are and what are they experiencing. And then we'll follow up and say, wow, what happens when you share this with your parents? Are you kidding me? I would never say any of this to them. Okay, there's number one. How can parents understand if we don't share? She or he is choosing not to share, therefore contributing to the very problem they are complaining about. And number two, it might be better or feel better to be a victim and continue to say, they don't understand, they'll never understand, or they don't care about me. The antidote to blame, also simple. Take responsibility examine your contributions to the situation, conflict, problem, and move forward, ready to embrace change. Can you see what we're doing here? We're calling out these patterns of human nature, all human nature, and patterns can always be rearranged. That's exactly what Dr. Burns shared next. His final thought was, We have more power than we think. I once met a family where the mother had completely transformed her life. Ah, I get goosebumps whenever I share this. There was a time when she was living on the streets. This was after she had gone through her divorce. She had been separated from her kids, her family, and had been addicted to any drug that she could get her hands on. And guess what? She changed. She stopped blaming other people. She took responsibility for her choices, her life. She stopped letting hate and pride inhibit her vision for hope and possibility. And she got the rehabilitation she needed. Reconnected with her family. She holds a steady job. She had more power than she ever thought she was capable of. Can change be difficult? Sure. Maybe. Maybe doesn't have to be. Can it be painful? Maybe. Dr. Byrne says, we have more power than we think if we are willing to pinpoint our own role in the problem and focus entirely on changing ourselves. This can be liberating, but painful and involves the death of the ego. It's an incredible experience to watch individuals and families tap into that power. Rid themselves of distracting and disconnecting motives like pride, power, blame, and so on. As we liberate ourselves from heavy and dark influences, we can instead focus our energy on building people up. Teach our young people how to be a good friend, how to show empathy, the value of apologizing or forgiving. Help them see How their choices, their actions, or lack of action contribute to the problems they are facing. And then, you know what is next? Recognize where your energy has been stuck. It's natural. It happens. But let's get you reprogrammed and updated. Liberate yourself from those negative motives that are so distracting. Stop pointing your finger when you know you on some level or multiple levels are also contributing to the problem. Find your part and make your move. My final thoughts as I close today. Emotional intelligence is a clear mind, clear of malintentions, clear of excuses, clear of blaming, clear of ego, because all of that is distracting and so draining. Humility and taking responsibility are lighter alternatives that eliminate mental buzzing and help clear distractions. Negative motives and having a puffed up ego don't make you as evil as Darth Vader. Just simply recognize those thoughts as they come, use your intuition, and be intentional about your next move to connect or disconnect. I do want to thank you for enduring my Star Wars analogies. And I look forward to the next obstruction that we're going to discuss and how it interferes with emotional intelligence so that we can make this path, this journey, smooth and exciting. I'm Kimmy Jackson, and this is Make Your Move. Bye, friends.